Welcome to Swing Left Nebraska. We are the regional chapter of Swing Left dedicated to engaging the community and helping Democratic candidates win in Nebraska. The radical Republicans voted against climate change measures, banned books, they voted against access to birth control, stripped away abortion rights, they voted against LGBT and interracial marriage freedom, and they are just getting started. They've introduced over 440 voter suppression bills because the radical Republicans know they can't win with their harmful and unpopular policies. They are shamelessly trying to grab power by using fraud, fear, and fascism. We must turn our anger into action and move from resistance to persistence. You'll be hearing from pro-democracy candidates and local leaders who will fight for a more inclusive and prosperous Nebraska. We're here to offer you information, inspiration, and tools you need to motivate Democratic-leaning voters to show up on November 8th to vote them out. Let's mobilize. Let's take action. Let's go. Hello. Welcome to the Swing Left Nebraska podcast. I am your host, Leia, and volunteer with Swing Left Nebraska. Welcome new friends and old friends. You guys are seriously the best. Thank you so much for showing up to learn about our incredible candidates and ways you can get involved in the political process and help Democratic-leaning voters show up at the polls on November 8th. I have some great interviews with amazing candidates and local leaders on the docket. So my hope was to have these episodes edited and in your ears a lot earlier. Turns out these precious episode gems take a lot longer to edit and polish than I wish, or maybe I'm just not good at it. Lots of marching and parades with candidates, planning, fundraising events, writing postcards, updating the Swing Left Nebraska website, all the things. Hopefully you'll accept my excuse, pretty please. I promise to have these episodes in your ears sooner than later and continue to provide a platform to our incredible Nebraska leaders. All right, so let's do a show. On today's episode, you get to hear my chat with Robin Richardson. She is running for state Senate in the Ralston area, District 12. Robin received her bachelor's degree from the University of Nebraska at Omaha, where she majored in education, English, and music. She then went on to become certified in working with disabled populations through Colorado State and diversity, equity, and inclusion through Cornell University. In December of this year, she will graduate with a master's degree in public policy from Colorado State University. Robin has been employed by Omaha Performing Arts, the Nebraska Arts Council, and the National Endowment for the Arts. In 2019, she joined the Ralston Public Schools Board of Education and proudly serves as their vice president. She feels it is an honor to give back to the educators who helped raise her and will bring the same passion, honesty, and integrity to her role in the legislature. Robin and her husband Shane are proud to be part of the Ralston and Millard area because her family has been a part of these communities spanning as far back as the 1950s. So 
sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Robin. Now, she was outside when I spoke to her, so you get the benefit of getting to hear pretty little birds in the background. Welcome, Robin. I appreciate you taking the time to chat today. I am excited to learn more about you and your campaign. So tell me a little bit about your background. Sure. So I was actually born a deaf child in very rural Butler County and actually had my hearing fixed here in Omaha when I was about three years old and was very lucky. When we moved into Omaha, I was able to join the Nebraska Children's Chorus and I traveled the world with them as a singer for about a decade, which was amazing. And through that time, I lived not only out in Rising City, but we moved into Ralston when my parents divorced, which is where my mom is from. And so. My mom was a graduate of Ralston. I was. My kids will be very deep roots in this community here in District 12. But also, I have been spending my last few years working at the Nebraska Arts Council. I'm their business manager, and I spend a little time doing um, their accounting work. But I also am their accessibility coordinator, and I am designated that through the, the National Endowment for the Arts. So I come in and I teach people how to make their arts events more accessible to everyone in our state which is always the goal. So really great there. And through that, I got to pursue a master's degree in diversity, equity, and inclusion from Cornell University. And I'm about to finish master's degree through Colorado State University in public policy and government finance, which sounds as fun as it is. So my goodness, you have like all the tools in the toolbox from just your experience and your education as well. That's that's pretty impressive. That's awesome. Well, and I'm really lucky too. My community sought me out to see, sit on our local school board. So I'm the vice president of the Ralston Public Schools uh, School Board. So I really love serving the community that helped raise me and is helping raise my kids. So that's really kind of a fantastic component of all of this that I may have forgotten. So you said the school board came to you to ask you to be a part of them or? The community did when they had an opening, somebody moved out of the district. And if you don't actually live within your district's boundaries, you cannot serve on their school board. So when we had somebody move out, somebody in the community came to me and said, hey, they could really use your voice. You really should should put in for this. So then I was appointed in 2019, right before the world exploded. And so then in 2020, I was actually elected again. And of course, it was a different world by that point. Really just being with my community and, and being there for them through the pandemic. And then we also passed an $83 million bond to update every single school in our district wow. um, in that time also. So a lot of heavy lifts, a lot of, of important work, but really just being there to give back to my community. That's really impressive that uh, your community came to you to be a part of the school board instead of you seeking to them. I mean, that really does say a lot. So speaking of community, can you just give the audience an idea of exactly where your district is covering? Sure. So it actually got redrawn in the redistricting last year. So a lot of people are not necessarily sure where their district is now. For the most part, District 12 is all overall. It starts at 72nd Street and now goes to 156 and envelops Millard South. And then it runs from about L Street to about Harrison. Right through that whole little run all the way 72nd to about 156, L Street to Harrison now is District 12. How uh, much of a difference did the redistricting do? Did it impact it significantly at all? Well, we just kind of enveloped a, a large chunk of Millard that we didn't necessarily have before that actually brought in some elementary schools and, and like Millard Central, Millard South High School. Those will come into our district now. Um, so I think really bridging that gap and making sure that we're 
were reaching out to their educational folks and going, hey, we're going to be your legislative representative now. So it's about 40,000 people per district now, depending on kind of where you are. What congressional district are you or is it split? So we're completely Douglas County, all in CD2, uh, behind Tony Vargas, if you're asking. <laughs> Represent. Uh, but yeah. Why do you want to run for Senate? What are you fired up to do for this community? Much like the school board, my community community came to me when they found out that Steve Lathrop wasn't going to run again and said, hey, we really noticed how much you represented us during the bond issue. We really appreciated the care you give in explaining those things to us, things like how our property levies work, that kind of stuff. And we would really love it if you would run. And we're talking about both sides came to me, everybody's like, hey, you should be our voice. So when it came to the primary, Ralston was very behind me because they knew me. What I'm trying to do now is get my voice into that Millard in that new area that really got enveloped in the redistricting. It was another one of those, my community came to me and I was a little like, are you sure it's this Robin Richards? Because I <laughs> really, and it was very flattering and it took me a few days, but honestly, like I didn't know I was running February 1st. And February 14th, I was in the race. So it's kind of, I keep telling people, it's like running Mach 2 with my hair on fire just to feel like I've caught up. And so I finally feel like we're caught up. We're here. And it's time to time to take it to the next level. Yeah, you just kind of took the bull by the horn and swung that bull around. But it sounds like you already kind of have a little bit of experience with running for school board and stuff like that. But again, just, I mean, what an honor to have the community come to you for this position as well. That I mean, that, that's got to be motivating. And you said people were asking you from both sides of the aisle to run for this? Absolutely, yes. We had uh, Democrats and Republicans both come to me and say, hey, you know, we really appreciate the way that you handle things and the way that you really come to the community, um, especially when we were doing the bond issue. $83 million is a lot to ask of your community. And when we haven't asked for one in 25 years, we had a building that was literally collapsing in. So there was not even like a chance that we could let this slide by us. We had to get this passed. So when I, when they really started asking like online and things, how property levies work and things like that, I piped in every time and said, this is really the reality of how it works. And the times that they were like, well, this part of it doesn't work right. You're right. But that's a legislative issue. Let's take it to the legislature and really made sure that they knew the difference between what the school board had control over and what the legislature has control over. And especially when property taxes is such a big issue in our state and especially in Ralston where we've had these rising house prices go up. It really is making the difference for people to know how their property levy works and what part of it is educational, what part of it is city, what is controlled by who. So really coming to them and, and just being the voice that says, hey, if you have a question, just ask me. Sounds like people really put down the labels of R&D and they look at you like, it doesn't matter what is next to her name. She's like actually fighting for us. She gets it. She grew up in this community. She understands this community. And they're willing to just say, this This is who we want. We want someone who's real. So what would you say your top priorities would be? Sure. So I think my biggest priority is to go down and bring back the legislative bill that Lynn Walls tried to introduce last year. It was a bill that would have dropped property taxes for nearly every single Nebraskan in half. 
and it would have raised almost every school's income by double. That would make an incredible difference in almost every single Nebraskan's life. There was only six districts that were held completely harmless, and that's because they didn't get any state funding. They're tribal schools, and they're all federally funded. But every other district saw about half of their levy draft. So Ralston, even with their bond issue, educational part of their levy would have dropped from a dollar thirty-five to sixty-seven cents. Millard's would have gone from a dollar thirty to seventy. Like it's that big a difference, and each school system would have gotten double the amount of state aid they do now. Because at the end of the day, the way that the Tiosa formula works, it's a needs versus resources in a system that just doesn't have enough money. No matter how many times we can continue to cut the pie, it's not enough pie to go around. So we have to find a way to diversify the income that education is getting from our state. We're one of the very few states that actually does all of our state income for education through property tax. Most of them diversify it and do an income tax or a a sales tax on top of the property tax. And that makes a huge difference in states. The next thing that I would really focus on is the Creative Districts program that has come out recently. It has been shown across the nation that if you invest in these creative districts, that what happens is people stay in their rural communities. If they have access to jobs and the arts, it gives them a reason to stay put. So we see this, especially in places like Benson, but also in places like Grand Island. Grow Grand Island has very specifically sunk money into arts in their community, and they are one of the few growing communities in our state. That makes a difference. The steward makes a difference in that community. So they did a a study in Colorado where they made a deal when the marijuana money came through and all of that tax money came through. They went to two cities that were right on the border and they said, okay, we'll give you yours and you can sink it into anything you want. And we'll give this other city theirs and we want them to sink it into the arts. 10 years time, the city that they sunk money into the arts grew by 15%. The one that they didn't dried up and is almost gone. They have a third of the population that they did. It makes a difference if we're investing in arts and creativity in our communities. Yeah, well, the numbers show it. And I can imagine that investing in this kind of stuff is just going to really propel younger people wanting to stay. I know that's like a huge just statewide, like people can't figure out, well, why are young people leaving? Well, first of all, you need to sit down and talk to them. But like you said, giving them an outlet and a purpose and something that can spark their interest, I can imagine will help with the mass exodus of uh, young folk. Yes, absolutely. So we found that most of the time what they what they came across was that they would travel to Denver or Omaha or Minneapolis to take in fine arts. And then they just got tired of the drive. They got tired of going back and forth and eventually they just moved there. So they have something to do. Remote jobs you can do anywhere. Why wouldn't you go where there's fun stuff to do when you're not on the computer? Really focusing in on that and knowing that that really is the economic driver of our future. That is a big difference. And then if we can couple that With pouring money into education systems that do like career cluster training so that way we are training all of our workforce at a higher level at the time that they graduate high school. Right now, Ralston has a program that is ASE certifications, right? This is how you go from being just a student to a mechanic. My husband and I paid $40,000 and had to move to Arizona for the same certifications that our high school graduates can walk out with. For four hundred dollars, 
That's how much they would pay. And they will graduate high school with that. Now we have a program for welders, engineers, nurses, uh, school teachers. All of those things are already in play in our high school. And we're finding that our graduates, if they need to go on to college, only have to do two years. Can you imagine how much money that saves them? Wow. My son is in dual enrollment and I paid for his first college credits this past year. It was $50 because of the partnership worked between Metro Community College and Ralston. If we can sink money into every single school to give them the opportunity to have these career training programs, that is how we feed the pipeline of workforce that we need here. Now, if you want to keep them here, Give them some arts and culture to participate in. You got it all down. You could write a book. Well, or this even better, we do it. Write, write some bills, get them passed, right? Make it happen. This is how we do it, people. The economic driver of the future all day long. That's what's up. Unless you're under, you know, rock. We all know what happened with Roe versus Wade. I'm curious about what your position is on that and what do you intend to do when you are elected <laughs> and, you know, representing the minority, but the majority of Nebraskans on this position. Absolutely. So I actually spoke at a rally on July 4th in the morning at the Capitol. And um, I will tell you the same thing that I told that crowd that day. This is a privacy issue. What the Supreme Court done has taken down the first stepping stone in making sure that our lives are private right? We get the choices in our lives. We get to decide who's in our doctor's office and who's making those choices. And I absolutely will not believe for a moment that anyone owes me their right to privacy for me to make common sense laws that understand that they understand their life and their body better than I ever could. That is for them to decide. And I will not stand in the way. I will absolutely hold the line when it comes to voting no on any kind of abortion ban. Abortion care is health care, period. 70% of Nebraskans support it. They understand it. And they know that it is not just a legal issue when it comes to this procedure or that procedure. It is literally the right to have a private life, period. I think really what we're finding is the scariest part is not just this stepping stone, but the ones that will follow it. So what happens when they come back and try to overturn a gay marriage or if they try to overturn even interracial marriage? What is that going to look like? If they can go 50 years back, how much further can they go? What isn't codified at that point? Women's rights are on the board. Gay rights are on the board. The ability to live your authentic life is on the board. It frustrates me to no end that I spent 30 years fighting for my dads to be allowed to marry. And someone might take that back from them. I spent most of my dad's career afraid that someone in his school would find out he's gay and he would get fired because of his morals clause and his contract. And I won't stand for that. We're not going backwards. And I think one of the biggest things that opened my eyes in 2016 was I thought we were all heading to the same goal. I thought as a country, we were like, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And it was so eye-opening to me to realize how many of my friends and my neighbors didn't see it that way. And I think that that was the first time that I was like, oh, politics really matter. And then I was in a school board meeting where a staff member told me that they didn't want to come to meetings during the coronavirus uh, because it was a waste of their time. And I feel the same way about that as I do about people that complain about politics. You can ignore it and you can pretend like it's not there, 
But at the end of the day, what happens in that room affects you and it affects all of us. Why wouldn't you want a voice in that? Right. And I feel like right now, uh, you know, politics are not, you know, what we should do with the budget. Yes, that's a part of it. But we're really facing life and death matters right now with Roe vs. Wade. And and so it is important that we have people like you fighting for these rights that, oh, my gosh, are being taken away from us. So that being said, do you get a feel for how your community feels about these issues? What have been your interactions with canvassing so far? What kind of feedback are you getting? Sure. So I think this is a two-parter. So first of all, I think it is a a common misconception still that Ralston is this this white upper-class area. I was talking with the Millard South superintendent yesterday about how much our demographic has really changed and what does that look like in Millard South? And really, We went from being a district that had 10% kids on free and reduced lunch when I was there in 1999 to today we have 75 to 80% of our kids are on free and reduced lunch. We went from a demographic shift of having a minority of less than 10% of people of color in our schools. And now it is more than 60%. We are a changed demographic. We are no longer West Omaha, suburban, white kids. It's different now in our schools. And that is a big perception that we're actually changing, even here in our community. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I haven't been in the school in 30 years, and surely it still looks like this. No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. And especially when it comes to our poverty level, it is skyrocketed in a way that we never could have anticipated. So as we're also dealing with that change of demographic, what we're really seeing is kind of a shift in attitude also. 20 years ago, I think we would have been a more Republican-leaning district. I think especially enveloping a little bit of Millard probably would have upped that a little bit just because of the way that it was this upper-class area at the time. Right now, District 12 is split. 30% Republican, 30% Democrat, 30% Independent. We are not one more than the other. We are not this thing over that. We're literally the melting pot. We are the mix. And so really what I think is that at the end of the day, most Nebraskans, whether you have an an R by your name, a D by your name, or an I by your name, you want what's best for your community. So if we can all get together and advocate and talk about these things and really have discussions, we're going to get a whole lot further. So when we have these conversations at the door, I don't shy away from it. I have real conversations about, okay, I understand what this looks like in my life, but what does this look like to you? And I think that that's why I bridge the gap so well between Republicans and Democrats and independents, because at the end of the day, I don't see you as an R or a D or an I. I see you as John that I grew up with. I mm-hmm. see you as Lucy, his mom. I see you as all of the people that I have known my entire life. All the way up and down the district have been the kids I grew up with, their parents, our kids. We all grew up here. We know each other. We can knock on each other's doors. So it's a little different for us, I think, than other districts. And especially for candidates that have lived in their district their whole life. Yeah, We get real answers. They aren't afraid to tell us what they feel. And I definitely feel like the majority of my district knows and understands that human rights are for everybody. They know and understand the importance of privacy and making their own choices. And especially when it comes to our poverty levels, understanding that healthcare is the difference between a kid showing up every day and a kid disappearing off of our, our radar. 
it is those things that make a difference in our community. And being a community over being a Republican or Democrat is what makes District 12 special. After these messages, we'll be right back. We've got less than 100 days until the 2022 midterms on November 8th. We have to encourage Democratic-leaning voters to show up at the polls so we can elect representatives who will fight to protect our democracy. It's going to take every last call, postcard, text, and knock on the door to win. Our candidates need our support. Find a campaign to volunteer with and or donate to on the swingleftnebraska.com website. That is all. Now back to the show. Can you explain why you print your campaign materials in both the traditional fonts and the more accessible fonts? That I really took the time to consider different abilities when approaching my campaign materials. So if you come to my campaign stuff, you will always see materials in different fonts. You'll see it in an audio format. You can grab a Braille copy if you need one. But the different fonts that I use, the one that really makes the difference, and the two, one that you're talking about is two cards that are next to each other. And one of them is this very classic ad. It has the perfect writing for a marketing person. And the other one has this kind of bubbly, cartoony kind of writing that looks a little out of place. And so... What I found when I started researching fonts was that there is a font called Open Dyslexic, and it actually works in a way that it makes your mind read every single letter. And it does so by making sure that no two letters are mirrored images. For instance, a lowercase b and a lowercase d are not just inverted. There are ways that it's weighted at the bottom and things that literally makes your mind slow down, whether you're neurodivergent or you have dyslexia or whatever your learning disability may be that it makes your brain slow down and actually read it. How many Nebraskans are driving around not able to read billboards or or just general ads, the newspaper? What a difference that makes. And so in my studies with the National Endowment for the Arts, what I really learned was not only how arts can be a part of the community and, and really bridging those gaps, but how important it really is to sink arts into inviting folks that have different abilities in. It can be the key to unlocking Alzheimer's. It can be the key to engaging folks with the, with severe autism. It can open so many medical doors that it's actually researched very regularly, not only here at the Med Center, but really across the nation. Yeah, that's really cool. I've never even thought about that. So wrapping it up, what do you hope all the R's and the D's and the I's in your community get out of our talk today and beyond? I have people actually listening all over the world, believe it. I can see the demographics, so it's pretty wild. I'm sure we have, you know, people nationally checking in. What's your message for your community and, and beyond? Well, I think we can all agree that healthcare is important, education is important, but the thing that I occasionally get people kind of giggling at me for is the arts thing, right? Arts is an economic driver. But what I really want people to know is that arts is a $768 billion industry across our nation that brings in more than tourism and agriculture combined. And if we could harness that here in Nebraska, we would have the economic driver of the future. We sell more tickets to arts events in Nebraska than we do to Husker games each year. That is a simple fact of it. Now, let's use that. Let's use that power. Let's use it to to build roads, to fund schools, to have a wider tax base, to do all the things that we want to do. I think a lot of people, like you said, they hear arts and they're like, eh, that's a gallery, like, but... Hobby, yes, Mm -hmm. yes. 
But look no further than Benson to see how it economically drives a community forward. Look at what First Friday did. It turns that place around and will continue to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Duplicate that all over the state. I'm behind you. I'm going to root you on, cheer you on. Arts and education are hand in hand, right? At the end of the day, we need both. And so really, when it comes down to the end of the day, I'm going to fund education all day long. Every day, I want our public schools to be as great as any public school across the nation. And I know that they can be. We just need to put our money behind them. Well said. Thank you so much for sharing some time with me today, Robin. I enjoy getting to know you and I know our listeners will too. Boo yeah, Nebraska has some solid candidates, hands down. And as I mentioned at the top of this episode, we have an awesome lineup of Nebraska Democratic superstars coming your way. On the next episode, you'll hear from Natalie Weiss. She is the chair of the Nebraska Stonewall Democrats, the LGBTQIA2S plus caucus of the Nebraska Democratic Party. Our link for the Swing Left Nebraska website and our social media links as well. You can also find Robin's website to learn more about her and how to get involved with her campaign. I know everyone listening to this episode knows that this is our all hands on deck final push to the election on November 8th. Don't just vote. Volunteer. Help someone register to vote. Donate to a campaign. Let's mobilize. Let's take action. Let's go. Ready, set, go.